You're listening to a time dilation edition of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast. Hi, I'm Chip, and for the next 15 minutes and 20 seconds, you'll be hearing the uncut version of my interview with Toby Hado, the one-man star of Moths Ate My Doctor Who Scarf, which is slowly but surely coming to the end of its run. That is, unless uh, somebody else decides that they want it. He'll, he'll explain very shortly. This has actually been lightly edited. We had a couple of Skype issues, and I was recovering from illness, and I've taken out some of the less coherent questions that I asked. But I hope you'll be patient with the questioner, and enjoy the questionee. Toby Haydock's a great guy, and I was really happy that he took the time to talk with me. Toby, tell me a little bit about the future of Moths Ate My Doctor Who Scarf. Well, the the performance I'm doing uh, in Florida was was supposed to be the last one, but it, it's one of a long line, and it's supposed to be the last ones because um, certainly the tour of the UK is winding up now. I've only got a couple of dates left. I think I've played everywhere in the UK and some places twice, um, but I've had this Florida win gig in for some time, uh, so it seemed like a nice way to end it to have a week in Florida and do it to uh, the lovely American fans. And then last week, I got asked to do the SFX uh, Weekender uh, in February. So uh, I'll have to never say never, I guess. If people still want me to do it, I'll do it. But it's certainly winding down, and I don't want to be a one-trick pony. I will have to do something else at some point. What have you got planned for the future? What are you getting ready to move toward? I think I saw a reference to you working on a new uh, one-man show. Yeah, I've got a couple of ideas in mind, and, and, and... it's, I'm, I'm being terribly reticent. I've got lots of ideas in my head, um, but actually sitting down and starting to commit it to paper seems like embarking on that difficult second album because Moths was supposed to be four weeks at the Edinburgh Fringe and that was it. And I'm talking to you now exactly three years later and I'm still still doing it. So I think whatever I do is inevitably not going to be as successful as that. So it seems like we're going to spend the next year working very hard on something that's going to, (laughs) just by virtue of the fact it's not a show about Doctor Who, um, not quite have have the legs, but uh, I I will have to get back on the bicycle and and do something. But I I still think I have to do something that is, you know, will appeal to the same people. So hopefully the people that have come see Moths have gone away having enjoyed the show and enjoyed the fact that it's about Doctor Who, but hopefully that they'll have enjoyed something I've done as well and go, oh, well, we'll, we'll go and see whatever else he does, I hope. When you started this at Edinburgh Fringe, um, did you have a large fan audience or were they just, were they fringe festival goers? Or Basically, I'm asking what kind of general audience you had compared to the audiences that, you're pl- that you've been playing for at these uh, fan gatherings. I knew that having Doctor Who in the title would... Um, Perhaps you know, bump up my audience by oh six or seven, which is a, a massive percentage when you're doing Edinburgh every day. But I was quite gratified, especially when the reviews started coming out. People saying I've never seen Doctor Who. You know, reviewers are just assigned shows. Um, and in fact, the, the reviewers who weren't Doctor Who fans were actually kinder about it than the Doctor Who fan reviewers who all. Uh, you know, if I got a review, I got I tend to get three star reviews from Doctor Who fans going, "Well, I love this course because I'm a Doctor Who fan." Uh, and it was the people who gave me the four or five star reviews were the ones that weren't Doctor Who fans but enjoyed the show because it had been written to stand on its own two feet whether you'd seen Doctor Who or not. So I was pleased about that. I owe a lot of that to the director of the show, Mark, who who steered me away from being too 
in-jokey or too concerned about just Doctor Who-y things. I still got a big percentage of Doctor Who fans, but not, not as much as I thought, actually. Um, and, and a lot of people had just come to see a, a, a comedy show or, or been, you know, you'd have groups of five, one of whom was a Doctor Who fan and say, right, I want to see this and we'll go and see what you want to see later. Um, and it was always great when the, the non-Doctor Who fans came up and said, well, I've never seen it, but I, I thought that was a great show. So that's nice. Well, it would seem to me that the heart of the show isn't about um, Doctor Who fandom, but things like the daddy gene, which were which was a very, very uh, moving part of uh, the BBC Seven audio that I heard. Um, yeah. How did uh, f- fans at the big conventions like uh, Gallifrey and uh, stuff like that, how did fans react to this show now that you'd established it already? Well, those have been such fun because... You know, touring it about, when you, whenever you do a tour, you know, you'll go from one place where you've sold out a massive venue and it's amazing. And then you'll go to another place where, for various different reasons, it's half full in a small venue. So going to the conventions is nice because you do know you'll have a captive audience. But then the pressure's on a little bit as well, because if they don't like it, you, you, know, you, know, you really haven't done your job. But people have been very positive. Gallifrey was wonderful. I mean, it's a great event anyway. Never really been to a Doctor Who convention properly. I'd, I'd been to a couple of Panopticons when I was a kid, but I'd certainly never been part of the fan world massively. And um, I made I made lots of new and very good friends and, and had a whale of a time. And people coming up to me with tears in their eyes and, and shaking my hand, which is just really nice. Um even if the technical side of the gig at that convention was a bit of a nightmare, we got through it. Um, and I did one in Canada recently, which was just incredible, um, and I had a wonderful time with some very nice people. And a few of the guests watched it as well, which always, you know, the, 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 the fan in me gets a real kick out of that. How does the show differ when you're playing it in front of these fan audiences? Do you change anything about it? The script evolves. It's not something I've sat and looked at for a good couple of years. Um, and I'll occasionally remember a gag that I did without fail every day in Edinburgh and that has somehow dropped out of the show. And some of my favourite bits in the show are bits that have been improvised. I think you write best. You don't write comedy well sitting down and typing it out. You write stand-up comedy well articulating it in stage on stage in front of an audience because then you get the rhythms and then things occur to you. And all the best stuff I've ever done is stuff that I've not consciously thought of but that's just come out of my mouth and I've gone, oh, no, that's good, well done. Um, so the show has grown as well. I mean, it was 55 minutes in Edinburgh and it's run to an hour and a half before now, if the audience has been, uh, willing because you, you know, you start to, if I'm a, as a stand-up comic, I do a lot of comparing at the same venues. So I can't do the same stuff week in, week out. So I, I'm quite an improviser anyway. I go up and, and hope for the best, but because I'm a regular there, I've got an identity. I can, I can sort of get away with that. So I'm, I'm used to, to making things up. So the, the script is quite organic and has grown. So when I'm at a convention, I can, I can do, I can bung in lines that are, that I think, you know, oh, they'll go for this because they're a group of Doctor Who fans. I remember, I didn't really know Steve Roberts particularly. I, had I even met him? I don't think I had, but he was on the front row when I did, did at the West End. And, uh, there's a line where I say, you know, all my DVDs are in chrono- chronological order. But the um, Sea Devil Silurian box set had just come out beneath the surface where there'd been much consternation about the fact that how do we store these because they're not 
you know, they're not stories that follow directly on from each other. And you've got a Peter Davison slap bang in the middle of your poetry collection. So I did this, <laughs> did this line about, you know, all my DVDs are in chronological order. And I looked at Steve Roberts and said, well, they were until this week, um, which, I, I, you know, is just something that I knew to throw in that uh, the eight people out of 250 would appreciate. But uh, some of my laughs are designed for just eight people. And in a fan audience, the fan audience is made up of those eight people 32 times over, I guess. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've uh, and I've done it in Canada and in the US. Um, my friend Rob Shearman has been in the audience. And he's become a friend through Moths. I mean, I've made loads of great friends through through the show. Rob came to see it um, a couple of times. We've seen it about six times now, actually. Um, uh, so, but and he's mentioned in the show because when the show comes back, I I. I do this thing where we're getting excited about Doctor Who coming back and the news is coming through of who the writers are. And, and I mentioned Rob Shearman's writing Dalek. And uh, I, I capped that with the line, oh, he's, he's brilliant, but he would turn up to the opening of an envelope because he's seemingly every Doctor Who convention ever. Uh, and doing that with him in the room um, obviously gets a much bigger laugh because people know it's not something, you know, you're not just reeling off stuff you you do elsewhere. You've done that to respond to a particular set of circumstances. And irrespective of Doctor Who in any comedy, that's that's the stuff people appreciate the most, something that they know you haven't planned or is spontaneous or, or you know, is, is about the night that they're having there and then. As you're uh, slowly beginning to uh, wind up, Moths, <laughs> uh, up until, you know, the uh, 2013 uh, gig comes up that somebody asked you to do it, uh, <laughs> What's your what's your best memory, uh, or what are you going to take with you about having put this show together? Well, I've alluded to the, the you know the fact that I didn't I've been a scout from Doctor Who fandom, and I, I I go on the forums and things, and you know always on the forums you ignore the the twelve normal people just having nice chats about Doctor Who, and you you see somebody being a, a bit bonkers, and and you go oh god I'm a bit worried the Doctor Who fans all like that, and I've 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 been, it's quite lonely traveling around on your own, and I've been living out of a suitcase for the past two and a half years. But in every town I've been to, there's always been a couple of people who've hung around after the show, and we speak a common language, and I've ended up in the pub having a great night, you know, talking about the Cartmel Master Plan or the Androids of Tara or whatever. So that's been nice. I've not been a stranger anywhere. Um, and I've made some very good friends. I mean, Rob Rob and I meet up every, every few weeks now. Um, and... Uh, some uh, okay, uh, occasionally, you know, people from the show have come to see it, not just at conventions. Barry Letts and Terence Dix came to see the show, and it was in Finchley. And uh, Dominic Glynn popped into to one and, and said hello afterwards. Um, and I still get, you know, very excited meeting people who've been part of the show. Um, and it's 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 gone off in other directions as a result of this. I've done DVD commentaries, which have been incredible. You know, it's a great honour to do those. And the, John Avenieri is a running. My, my favourite is when I did Portsmouth. Uh, I, it, was, it sold out in, I think it was Portsmouth, a nice old theatre. And uh, I got a text message through to say, it was the lead up to my run at the West End. I got a text message to say, you're on Loose Ends on Saturday. And Loose Ends is a Radio 4 show that I'd grown up listening to. Um, you're on Loose Ends on Saturday. Guests include Bernard Cribbins, which was fantastic. Um, and then I went in to do the technical run of the show and the technical guy you know, I don't have a techie who comes with me. I have to explain the show to each venue's individual tech guy. I just have bullet points on the scripts where he has to come in with a sound cue, a light cue. And he saw this bullet point that said John Abenary's niece, which is just, you know, goes on to a riff about that. 
And he said, oh, John, I said, yeah, you'll, you'll understand when you do the show, you'll understand what, what that means. And he said, oh, no, is he an actor? And I went, yeah. And he said, is his son an actor? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, he's my friend, Seb. He lives down the road. Um, I said, oh, because John Abenir is this running theme through the show, and he comes out of it very well because he's a marvellous actor, um, and it's done with a lot of affection, um, and his family would have had no idea about it, um, I, I said, oh, oh, we must get him in um, and don't tell him anything about it. And so John Abenir's son came and sat with his mate in the sound booth and, and stayed behind afterwards and, and was really kind and said his dad would have been really pleased and, and just things like that. that I, you know, I, I wrote John Abenir as a running thing because it's a thing about my memory for actors and he just popped up at various points to allow for a bit of wordplay and certain stories and, and he became this sort of running theme through it. But I never did that thinking about you know the, the consequences of that and that actually he was somebody's dad and he's out there and people might and and, and they were very pleased and, and flattered that he, he featured in you know albeit an obscure one-man comedy show but that that was nice to actually you know it was a bit of payback in a way i guess my last question for you uh gets back to sort of the the emotional heart of the story and you know the relationship between parents and kids you talk about in the show about uh, how uh, Doctor Who ultimately helped you uh, get your daddy gene kickstarted. Uh, I understand you've got more kids now. How has doing this show changed you? Well, it's interesting. I never thought I'd be able to, um, as I did the other day, use as a punishment. If you keep doing that, you're not going to be allowed to watch Doctor Who tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly had to take a step back and go, right, just think about what has occurred there. Um, and I, I think it's it's also because I never, you know, I planned this show really before Doctor, I'd thought about doing a show even before Doctor Who came back, but I'd always been, we'd, all, we'd always carried around a little paranoia, I think, of, of people going, oh, Doctor Who's a bit rubbish. And, and, you know, eventually you lost the fight, didn't you? And just went, yeah, do you know what? This is just going to have to be my my little thing. And then when Doctor Who came back um, and, and you know, the consequence, the success of the show, it's made me actually go, do you know what? It's a, it, it is a damn good thing and I'm quite proud of that. And it's it's given me a lot more confidence, so I'd have to say, and just a bit, I feel a bit more secure about something that, that, that used to be something people used to laugh at me about. And as I'm sure any fan listening to this knows, we, we were right. Um, and now people want to listen to what we have to say. And now those funny old dvds that people used to laugh at. i even got burgled once um and they they left they took all sorts of things a, a half full chess set a broken guitar and they left my doctor who video collection intact it wasn't even good enough for burglars um and now everybody wants to borrow my doctor who dvds and uh, uh and and go oh what about this one and uh so i've got a real spring in my step i'm uh, and i'm a lot i don't know i think it's just a lot more confident and and secure and, and just doing this going around the country has I've just enjoyed doing it you know it's never been a chore I've, I've done it hundreds of times now and I never get bored of it and that really helps with with doing it because you know you quite often see a comedian just sort of going through the motions and it doesn't inspire as an audience and uh, and because of that when stuff's going well in your your, your career I think things go better at, at, at home and you know you, you treasure, treasure the time I'm away a lot as well in this job. You treasure the time you spend with your kids, and uh, yeah, if they misbehave, you tell them they can't watch Doctor Who. Brilliant. Ah, excellent. That, that's like the carrot and the stick right there. Yeah. If people want to see more Toby Haydock, where should they go? What should they do? 
Um, oh, find me on Twitter and Facebook, and I'll I usually use that to, to to let people know where I am, or go to my website, which is www.tobyhaydock.com. And you're the compare at XS Malarkey, is that correct? Yeah, XS Malarkey in Manchester every Tuesday, and at the Comedy Store in Manchester every second and last Sunday of the month. They are my regular gigs, uh, where I'm always at, and I usually throw a Doctor reference in if I can. 